Well, Harvest, so good to be with you. Boy, what a delight to have the kids joining with the worship team and just doing that. Parents, uh, what a delight to watch your children, grandparents, to watch your grandchildren. Before we dig into God's Word, I just want to uh, maybe take a moment here. And when we have special times like this, parents, uh, you have a real opportunity on the table right now with your child participating. And one of the things that oftentimes ends up happening as parents with something like this Um, we go and we kind of foster the horizontal and lose the vertical with our kids. And if I could, if I could just encourage you uh, parents that today, rather than kind of saying, you did a great job, you were awesome, uh, that kind of brings it down in a very horizontal, very very, uh, uh, I'm great kind of level. If you could just somehow bring in it to where the conversation takes it vertical and It was such a joy and delight to be able to watch you worship with the others and take us vertical. And just the Lord loves that, you know, and something like that, okay? I think just a cool opportunity with our children as uh, Nick and Jill and all the worship team have just worked with the kids and helping them understand the the, the act of worship. And so we want to keep it vertical. Very, very cool time this morning with that. Well, open your Bibles to Mark chapter 8. We're going to dive into God's Word. Mark chapter 8. If you're using the Bible on the back of the uh, seat there, uh, page 844. Um, Actually, we're in Mark chapter 9. Uh, getting a little bit of a reminder from where we have come. Uh, if I were to sum things up, the whole time up today, it would be these six words. Watch me, hear me, see me. Watch me, hear me, see me. And we are really on the see me part of today. What I mean by that is since June, we have been walking through the first eight chapters of the Gospel of Mark. And and it is essentially the kind of eight chapters that basically what's going on is we are giving being given this amazing front row seat to be able to watch these amazing events these stories, these miracles, these events that took place. And it's basically watch what Jesus has done and watch me. Okay. That's what's happening in the first eight chapters. Then last Sunday, the end of chapter eight, we're right in the crown of the middle of the book here at the end of chapter eight. Basically I would term it this way. Jesus is saying, hear me, hear me. I have some things to say. Uh, and in that, basically, it's been two and a half years of time with the disciples up to that point. And Jesus culminates those two and a half years of watch me into one uh, a question. And it's kind of a, are you hearing me question? And we saw last week basically saying, hey, you guys, who do you think that I am? Who do you think that I am? And it's a great question. They've had two and a half years to watch and and trying to come to a conclusion. And so uh, here's kind of how it goes. Sum up last Sunday, kind of in my own words. Hey guys, who do you think that I am? It's been two and a half years. I'd love to hear it on the table. So Peter knocks it out of the park with four words. You are the Christ. That's a title. You are the Christ. You are the Daniel 7 one. You are the Psalm Two, one. That's the one who you are, the one who is going to reign and rule on the throne with a kingdom. Uh, you are that one. And it's like, bam, dude, way to go. And so uh, Jesus is basically, then he replies and he's kind of going, uh, Peter, you're, you're right, but I also want to help you because I understand what you're saying and you're only half right. 
Because essentially, Peter, yes, I am the Psalm 2 one. Yes, I am the Daniel 7 one. But Peter, I also want for you to understand that I am the Psalm 16 one, the Psalm 22 one, the Psalm 110 one. I am the Isaiah 52 and 3 one. By the way, Peter, I am the Genesis 3.15 one that is going to be coming and is going to be bruised. And Peter is like, um, no, you're not. No, no, no. You're not going to be reviled. You're not going to be killed. No, no, no. None of that's going to happen to you. And that was a bad idea, Peter. You don't know what you're talking about. Bless your heart. And Jesus replies, end of chapter eight, basically in the Greek, it's in there. It says, zip it. Okay. (laughs) He says, basically, Peter, you don't know what you're talking about. Stop it right now. Essentially, I mean, Jesus is like, listen, Peter, you're talking heresy. And in fact, the kind of thing that you are saying right now is the kind of thing Satan would say. Peter, you're talking Satan-like right now. And Jesus lays it on the line because the gospel of the cross and the resurrection is central to what the whole gospel is. And basically he's telling Peter, Peter, you cannot fabricate me into your own little God. Peter, you cannot reshape me into your own little kabuki idol that you want me to be. Listen, I know who I am. I know what's going on. You've been able to watch me, but Peter, now hear me. Very cool moment. Very cool moment it was. And Jesus then lays out that uh, the radical relationship, gradual growth, radical relationship that it is of giving up, taking up, and following after Jesus Christ. And the rain comes pouring down. Hey, I just want for us to understand this. Jesus doesn't stop there. Here's one of the really neat things about our Savior. Our Savior understands that we have a hard time grabbing a hold of him. He knows that. He understands that. Our Savior understands that. And so what's happened here, I want us to realize this as we crown in the middle of the book here, is realize that what our Savior has done is he has come along and he's given these guys two and a half years. That's a lot of time. Two and a half years being with them just to let them watch him. And let them watch them and let them hear him. And he knows that they're not going to get it, but it's a gradual growth reality. But here's the cool thing today, friends. What is a pinnacle point in the whole book of Gospels? What we're about to take a look at today. Because Jesus has not just said, watch me and hear me. But today Jesus is going to do this. See me. I want you to see me. And I want you to see me in the full reality of who I am. Because I understand you have a hard time understanding me. You have a hard time grasping me. But I want to add one more dimension of it. And now we're going to see you. And we're going to walk out this door. I pray we all walk out this door. Wherever you and I are at in our walk with the Lord. Whether we're new in the Lord. Whether we've been with walking with the Lord for years. Whether we're still trying to figure it all out. That we walk out of this door this day, and we walk out going, oh my word, Jesus is way, way more. Know this, friends. Jesus is more. I don't know what you're thinking right now about him, but I'm just telling you as we're going to go through this, Jesus is more than that. Way more. And so I invite us in Get a load of this, because this rocks. Let's see Jesus. Lord, as we open your word, show us more of you. Show us more of you. In Christ's name, here we go. 
John, or John, Mark chapter 9, verse 1. We pick it up. Uh, and he said to them, by the way, chapter 9 is like a horrible chapter break. Um, I understand kind of why they did it. No, the chapter breaks are not inspired. They're just there to help us get around. But it cuts the discussion from what's been happening. What we are in right now, verse 1, is the continuing discussion from last Sunday. So he goes on. Jesus said to them, Truly I say to you, there are some standing here who will not taste death until they see the kingdom of God after it has come with power. Okay, if you've done some study in the Bible, you know that this verse we could totally spend our entire morning and afternoon and evening in. Okay, no, no, don't worry, we're not going to do that. Uh, we could do that because this is an important text here. Let, let, let me bring a little bit of context in. This is continuation of the discussion that Jesus had from last Sunday, uh, from the end of chapter 8. He starts out by saying, uh, and he said to them, and then he says, some of you who are standing here. So the question is, who are the some? Well, the answer to that is the them in verse 1. Well, who's the them in verse 1? Well, that's where you got to go to chapter 8, verse 34 from last Sunday. And you find out Jesus is having a conversation with the disciples. And then it says that he goes and he grabs a crowd. So there's a crowd of people and the 12 disciples. And he's talking to them. I don't know how many people are in the crowd, but there's a crowd of disciples. And he goes on and he says to them, listen, some of you, some of you 12, some of you all, some of you, how many is that? I don't know. It's some. Uh, Some of you are are not going to die until they see the kingdom of God after it has come uh, with power. What is this talking about? Well, as I mentioned, there's there's all kinds of views on it. Some people say that this is referring to Acts chapter 2 when the Spirit of God comes. And and I don't think that's it at all. I think there's some real problems with that. Some say that it's referring to 70 AD uh, when the the Jerusalem was destroyed. And and that's when it all happened. And and out of that, there's grand implications because of how you view Revelation with the preterist view that Revelation's already happened. And and that's not that. I'm just convinced of that it's not 70 AD. Some say it's referring to a literal future kingdom and everything in here is kind of spiritual gobbledygook talk and I don't think that's what the text is talking about others say that it absolutely proves the Bible cannot be trusted just so you're aware because in here it says that some of you will not die until you see the kingdom of God and people are thinking the literal kingdom of God and the kingdom of God has not yet come so the Bible must be untrue listen I'm just going to cut to the chase and say it this way I think it is very clear from the text that what Jesus is referring to is the event that is about to happen. Some of you are going to see power and the presence of the kingdom of God. Because friends, know this. The kingdom of God is not so much a specific place. The kingdom of God is ultimately about the place where the person is. Okay, and, and, and I don't have time. We could talk more if we wanted to about it, go into all the passages and so forth. But I think it's very, very clear, including the fact that all three gospel accounts, uh, three of the gospels include the transfiguration. All three of them have this moving into the context of the transfiguration. And I think Jesus is saying, listen, some of you here are, are going to see the power and the presence of the kingdom of God. So buckle up and you're going to see it before you die. And then he moves into the transfiguration. That's where we're at. Uh, that's what we're digging into. Jesus laid it out. Verse 2. And after six days. How many days? 
Six days, it's not a long period of time, but it's also not six minutes. It's, it's about a week of time that all of a sudden it comes and this event is about to take place as Mark has put this all together. He leads it into, in six days, uh, Jesus took with him Peter and James and John. How many of the disciples is that? How many total disciples are there? So how many are left back? Okay, so of, of, of nine back there, are they all moping and going, oh, <laughs> okay, like that, listen, I also don't want to take the time for it today, but there is a real lesson in this. Here's how Jesus ministered. This is a strategy wrapped up. Jesus ministered to the masses, no question about it. He ministered to the crowds, he ministered to the masses. Jesus invested himself in discipling a few, the twelve. But also know this in the strategy of what Jesus was doing. There were three guys that he was especially tight to. And these three guys, he was taking with him to unique places. And when you see later on, post-resurrection, these three guys are leading the rest of the guys. And so he's investing in that. That's just how relationship works. As a disciple maker, every one of us are to be involved in ministering to the masses. We're involved in ministering to a smaller group from the masses. And the reality is there's anywhere from one, two to three people that we should be diving ourselves whole hog into and discipling them along. So, so that's what's happening here. Uh, after six days, Jesus took with Peter, James, and John, led them up a high mountain by themselves, and he was transfigured before them. And his clothes became radiant, intensely white, as no one on earth could bleach them. And there appeared to them Elijah and Moses. And they were talking with Jesus. And Peter said to Jesus, Rabbi, it is good that we are here. Uh, bless his heart. Let us make three tents. One for you, one for Moses, and one for Elijah. For he did not know, Peter, what to say, for they were terrified. Let's go back and work through some of this. It's it's now six months before the crucifixion. How many months before? Six months before the crucifixion. It kind of gives you a frame of work. Peter, James, and John, he he takes up. He takes them on a high mountain. This is more most likely Mount Heron. It's a 9,000 foot altitude. So these boys were climbing up. Uh, it's a high mountain. They're on that mountain. Jesus is transfigured. The word means change. We get the English word metamorphosis. It's not an outside painting covering. It's a complete internal metamorphosis. It's something like a caterpillar that does a metamorphosis into a butterfly, changes into something almost completely different. It's not just like like he became special. It was a metamorphosis. And notice in the text, it tells us here, it was he metamorphosized, that's a form of the word, right before them. By the way, how cool is that? Imagine you're one of the three. And there this, this, however it happened, I don't know if it was slow, if it was just bam, but you saw it. Would that not change your life forever? And it metamorphosized right before them. It's interesting, Mark in verse 3, he centers on Jesus' clothes. The other two accounts in the other Gospels, uh, they talk almost more about Jesus himself and how how radiant he was. But Mark, he's in on the clothes here. And, And so not only is Jesus radiant, but everything is his clothes are. And it's this unearthly white. And I could just say it this way, the person changes everything. Everything that Jesus touches changes. 
And there's transfiguration take place, takes place. And Jesus becomes something other, something different from what we've seen. Pause. Really, capital P, capital A, capital U, capital S, capital E, capital D. No, just without the D, pause. Here, here's what normally happens. We think uh, Jesus, God in the flesh, second person of the Trinity incarnate. We, we think of Jesus and we see him with kind of in our mind with, you know, like the movies have him and all these kinds of things. With, or he's a real person. And he, and he is. Philippians chapter 2, God in the flesh. He's got a nose, he's got a mouth, he has eyes, he has, he has hands, he has arms, he has legs, he has feet. He's real, he's, he's, he's human. And, and what we oftentimes, when we get to the transfiguration, we, we end up going and thinking, wow, how can, that, how can a man turn into that? That's, that's opposite thinking. Here's the reality of it. The, the transfiguration, this wham, this, this miraculous, this otherly, you know, glowing of, 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 of purity and holiness and godness. That's the real Christ. That's the real deal. That's the one that's been from all of eternity past. That's also the one that's going to be the one in Revelation returning back. That's the one. And and we get stuck. And while we are uh, so grateful for the incarnation of the second person of the Trinity, God come and done for us what we could not do for ourselves. God in the flesh, we keep him in the flesh. And we think otherworldly is the odd part of it. The reality is the in the flesh is the crazy, weird, odd part of it. God, the second person of the Trinity in flesh. Why would he do that? Who would do that? That's our Savior, you guys. And yes, Jesus was the son of a poor carpenter. And he wore sandals and he had long hair, most likely like men of the day. And he went around teaching. But do know this. Jesus Christ is not a poor carpenter's son, hippie, sandaled preacher dude. He is God magnified, glorified, full holiness and set apart from anything you and I can imagine or fathom. He is the one who created all things, Colossians 1, Hebrews 1. He is the Genesis 3.15 one. He is the Isaiah 52 and 53 one that would come and be bruised like a lamb led to the slaughter. He is the revelation one. John, some decades later, John, by the way, who was with, who was with Jesus at the transfiguration? John was. 
And listen to what John says later in Revelation chapter 1. He says, Then I turned to see the voice that was speaking to me, and on turning I saw seven golden lampstands, and in the midst of the lampstands, one like a son of man, a son of. That's not birthed of. That's, that's, that, that's one who's the, in nature, an identity of. The one like man who represented man. Uh, The son of man clothed with a long robe and a golden sash around his chest. And the hairs on his head were white like white wool, like snow. His eyes were like a flame of fire. His feet were like burnished bronze refined in a furnace. And his voice was like the roar of many waters. And in his right hand he held seven stars. And from his mouth came a sharp two-edged sword. And his face was like the sun shining in full strength. Revelation 19, then I saw heaven opened and behold a white horse. And the one sitting on it is called faithful and true. And in righteousness he judges and make, makes war and his eyes are like a flame of fire. And on his head are many diadems and he has a name written that no one knows. But himself. He is clothed in a robe dipped in blood. The name by which he is called is the word of God. And the armies of heaven, arrayed in fine linen, white and pure, were following him on white horses. From his mouth comes a sharp sword with which to strike down the nations, and he will rule them. He will tread the winepress of the fury of the wrath of God Almighty. And on his robe and on his thigh, he has a name written, King of Kings and Lord of Lords. Friends, I'm just going to lay on the table today that you and I came in this room with too small of a view of Jesus. came into this room today with too small of a view of Jesus, kind of like Peter from last week. We This shaped Jesus, this fabricated Jesus, this selective part of who Jesus is. I just want this part of him. I want his love and his, and his hugginess and his, his brotherness. And, uh, but, but his judgment or his holiness or his separateness, I don't want all of that. I just want the select part. Of we can't do that. He is who he is. And the issue is we need to see who he is and respond as a result of who he is. Oh, friends, this is cool stuff. This is our Savior. This is our Savior. Jesus is way more. Verse 4, And there appeared to them Elijah and Moses. That's cool. Someone after his first service came up and said, How did they, how did they know it was Elijah and Moses? I think they had t-shirts that said Elijah and Moses or something. I don't know, but somehow they did. Get a load of this. They appeared, Elijah and Moses, and they were talking with Jesus. Grasp a hold of what's going on. We have three guys who are, who are born living on earth, earthmen. <laughs> we, we have Jesus Christ transfigured, and, and then we have Two men who lived from the Old Testament that now one of them died, well, the, the other didn't. But we'll just, both of them post-life on earth. 
Do you see what's going on here? We could spend the time just talking about what's going on here. Where you have three men-men, and you have uh, the God-man, and then you have two, two post-life men. Uh, listen, there's hope in this from this standpoint. For one, there is life after death. And notice a little bit about the life after death. The life after death isn't them, you know, just going playing their violin or, or playing their harp or like bored to death with God. That's not what's going on. What's going on here? In fact, in Matthew, it tells in the account of it. I'm sorry, it was either Matthew or Luke telling in the account of it that they're talking with him. And the Greek word that's used there is they are talking with Jesus about his exit. If you wanted to take it almost more literally, especially with Moses there, they were talking with Jesus about Jesus' exodus. What's his exit? What's his exodus? His death and resurrection. The two dudes standing here with the Lord are interacting with him, and they know what's coming. And they are talking about what's going I don't know what they said. That's their deal. But we know what they were talking about. Man, how encouraging that must have been for Jesus. Yeah, this is why I'm doing it. This is why I'm going to the cross. More of this. More of this. That's so cool. And so they're talking about the exit. The exodus of Christ. Elijah there. Why? What are they? Why are they there? Why is not Abraham? Why is not David there? Elijah represents the great protector of the law. Uh, he represents the Old Testament prophets. Uh, Moses represents the Old Testament law, uh, the giver of the law. One's the protector of the law, one's the giver of the law, some commentators talk about. Uh, pretty much everyone says one represents the prophets, one represents the Old Testament law. The whole Old Testament is now there, if you will, in representative form with Christ. That's part of what's happening here. And keep that in mind because of what's about to take place. And so here they are in this conversation. And why those two? Because Malachi 4 verses 4 and 5 says this. It says, the very last verses of the Old Testament says, Remember the law of my servants Moses, the statutes and rules that I commanded him. He's the giver of the law. And then verse 5, Behold, I will send you Elijah the prophet before the great and awesome day of the Lord. The last verses of the Old Testament have that. And what do you know? Kawinky dink who's standing next to Jesus Christ. Exactly what the end of the Old Testament lays on the table. And they're having this conversation. Just crazy cool stuff. And they're talking with Jesus. Verse 5. They're talking and then Peter talks. Peter, no! But he does. What's going on? Well, the text tells us that, that, that their minds are just blown. They're just, this is for real. And it tells us also that they were terrified. Do you see that? End of verse 6. For he did not know what to say, for they were terrified. You know, there are some people when they get terrified, they just go silent. And other people when they get terrified, they just talk. And it's like, why are you talking? Because I don't know what to do. So I talk, and I think that's what's happening here with Peter. And Peter in his talking, he's saying, hey, let, let's, this is awesome. <laughs> this is really cool here. Let's build, make three tents for the three of you, and we'll hang here with you. A couple things out of that. We generally, when things really get awesome, we want to just stay there. Like, let's stay in this holy moment. 
Let's not go out to the real world. Uh, But Jesus is going to send them back out. uh, Because life right now is not about a holy moment. Life right now is about living on an unholy earth to tell people about the holy Christ. And so we're in that now. The, the, The camping time will come later. And Moses and Elijah are the exact representations of that. But here's another thing about it. He's like, Peter, you're not seeing this correctly because you're talking about building three tents. Like there's the Jesus tent, there's the Elijah tent, there's the Moses tent. Dude, Jesus' tent should be way bigger. (laughs) Okay, and it's kind of, I think part of what's going on here is he's seeing them like, whoa, you are kind of like them. And watch what happens here. Watch what takes place because the Lord is really good. So, and a cloud, verse 7, overshadowed them. And a voice came out of the cloud. This is God the Father. And he says, this is my beloved son. Listen to him. And suddenly looking around, they no longer saw anyone with them. But I love these last two words. Jesus only. So what goes on? Peter's like, let's build a tent. And the father's like, I got to stop this. And he says this statement, this is my beloved son. Son, by the way, that's not birthed of. It's not like Jesus was a human that all of a sudden came into his godness. The term son in that day was clearly understood as an equal representative one. He is the same in nature and essence of. This is God. That was actually, the son is a divinity statement. And so what's happening here is the Shekinah glory envelops them in the manifest presence of the Lord. This is my beloved son, by the way. You can talk about it at lunch. That just tells you so much about the Trinity. They love each other. They're there for each other's glory. This isn't about who gets the highest seat. I mean, they love each other. They're working together as a team. It's just the coolest thing. And by the way, he said, this is my beloved son. Same thing he said at his baptism in chapter 1. But these next three words, I underline them and encourage you to do the same thing. And then the father says, especially after Peter's just talk, 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 talk. The father says, no, no, no. Listen to him. Listen to him. And what's going on? Because they're looking around and Elijah and Moses are gone. The Old Testament is gone. Not irrelevant. But there's only one person standing there now. And the father says, listen to him. By the way, what just happened at the end of chapter 8? Jesus talking to them about a radical relationship of giving up, taking up, following after. He is saying, hear me. And now the father, a few days later, is saying, listen to him. Listen to Jesus, only Jesus. Question, who do you listen to? I'm not talking about just like on the radio or on the news or things like that or even with your friends. No, but I'm talking about when it comes down to real life issues and how you think and your theology and your view of life. Who do you listen to for real? I mean, for real. Is it Dr. Phil Oprah? Is it the news? I mean, for real. Let me ask it this way. Who would Jesus say you are listening to? Really? Who, who? Do you remember last week? Peter was over here saying, no, no, Jesus. No, you're, that's not the image of Jesus that I have. That's not the kind of Jesus I want. No, you're not going to go through that kind of stuff. And Jesus is like, stop it, dude. 
You don't reshape me. You don't fabricate me. And yet I ask the question to you and myself here. How much do you and I fabricate our own Jesus? Friends, you and I don't have the ability, the wisdom, the knowledge, or even the place to do that. You can make a judgment call and you can say this is all a bunch of baloney. You can do that. But you cannot reshape what the Bible says who Jesus is. Who do you listen to? Teens at school and how you do life at school? Singles, who do you listen to? Couples, who do you listen to on how you do marriage? Parents, who do you listen to on how to do parenting? Well, Jesus doesn't say anything about all of those. Listen to him. Listen to him. Dive into the word of God and listen. Uh, End of verse 8. Jesus only. Jesus only. I'm going to leave it there. Verse 9. Take it to the end here. Verse 9. And as they were coming down the mountain. Got it? Mark says, okay, that's all I'm going to tell you about it right now. And they're coming down the mountain. And Jesus charged them to tell no one what they had seen until the Son of Man. That's a title of the, again, that's a title that's referring to Daniel 7. That's referring to the equivalence and the essence of God. Uh, I'm sorry, of man. That's the one until the Son of Man has risen from the dead. Uh, Jesus says, hey guys, uh, uh, don't tell anybody what you just saw. Why would he do that? By the way, that would include the other nine. Can you imagine Peter? Peter's like, oh man, that's an impossible task. <laughs> I, can't, I can't do that. Uh, but he's telling them, don't tell anyone. Why? Let's just know this, because he gives them an until time. He gives them a time frame. Listen, you can later on. In the time of redemption where life, where Christ is alive, now's not the time to be telling some of these things, but the Lord will bring it all back, all back. It'll all come back. He charges them to say nothing at this point in time. Six months from now, oh, they will be, and proclamation will be the order of the day. Verse 10, so they kept the matter to themselves, questioning what this rising from the dead meant. They still weren't getting that. And they ask him, why do the scribes say that first Elijah must come? Great question, guys. I love the fact they're coming down the mountain. And well, here's what's going on. In the day, I read Malachi 4 where it said Elijah is to come. And they're thinking, wait a second, if you are the Christ... I'm understanding that Elijah is supposed to come and then you come. I'm confused and I'm telling you, I love this. These guys are thinking biblical uh, reality, biblical truth through the process of it. They're trying to understand. The Lord does not have a problem with questions at all. Uh, but they're asking, they're trying, they're one, they're not getting the rising from the dead thing. But why? Why? Good question. Uh, their minds are engaged. I'm just going to leave it there. We'll keep reading. We'll find out as time goes along. And he said to them, here's why. Elijah does come first to restore all things. And how is it written of the Son of Man that he should suffer many things and be treated with contempt? But I tell you that Elijah has come. And they did to him whatever they pleased as it is written of him. In Matthew 17 of this account, it tells us that when Jesus said this, the disciples were understanding fully that he was referring to John the Baptist. 
In fact, in the Gospels, it tells when the angel is talking to Zechariah, John the Baptist's father, when he's talking with him, he tells him that, John, your son will be coming in the power and the strength of Elijah. And then here, they're understanding what's going on. And Jesus is saying, listen, you're getting some things confused here. He has come. The power and the strength of Elijah has come in John. Guys, now to the cross. Doesn't say it, but that's what happens. Three things to wrap it up here. Three things. Number one, it's time to hear Jesus. It's time to hear Jesus. Verse 7 says, uh, listen to him. I've talked about that. I've pressed into you on that. I just want to say again, following hard after Jesus is not doing a poll on what Jesus says and then doing it the way you feel like it or want to. It's a hear Jesus and do Jesus reality. It's an in the written word to hear the living word, to do the word. We're to be in the word people, to hear the living word person so that we can do what the living word person has told us to do. In the word, listen to him, listen to him. What do you have going on right now in your life? In the blessings and the challenges and the trials. What's going on right now in your life? I'm serious, right now in your life. Here's the deal. You need to go and find out what Jesus has to say about that in God's word. That's what it means. Well, I don't know where to go. Come and talk. And we'll show you where to go. Dive in. We are to be people that all are all about listening to him and his word. Why should I hear and do the give up and take up and follow after Jesus just because he said so? Well, yes, listen to him. But also here's the other cool thing. Number two, it's time to see Jesus. It's time to see Jesus for who he really is. Friends, I am just convinced from my own life that we see Jesus way too small. We see human Jesus really cool rocking it out. But he's way too little for my issues, for my life, for my trials, for my struggles, for my thinking. He's really too small to be able to answer the questions that I have. He's just too small. And the reality is, is, <laughs> no, he's not. He's not. He is not the carpenter, son, hippie, sandaled preacher dude. He is the fully magnified, fully glorified, second person of the Trinity, the one who has created all things. He's that. He is that. Whatever you can imagine, he is. He's way bigger. He's way bigger. It's time to hear Jesus. It's time to see Jesus. Lastly, we're entering the time of Christmas. I'll just say this. This Christmas... I'm calling us as a church family here and in our homes to hear more of Jesus and to see more of Jesus in Christmas. What do I mean by that? We have these really cool 
cartoon scenes, movie scenes of, of uh, Jesus in a manger. And it's true. It's true. It's not a fable. And oftentimes we kind of feel, you know, all the nice, warm, cute feelings. And that's okay. That's okay. But he's more. He is way more than this cute little baby in a manger. Hey, Harvest, this is God in a little baby? Are you kidding me? How can we grasp our heads around that reality? This is not just a cute little baby. This is God, Philippians chapter 2, who stepped out of his throne to come down. Why would anyone ever do anything like that? There is no religion on the entire planet that has that perspective that God came and did for us what we could not do for ourselves. Every religion, you check them out. Every religion is about how I get better before God. It's my, or my working my way towards God. This is the only reality that's taken place that God has come and done for you and I what we could not do. God in the flesh making salvation and forgiveness available for all who would receive Him. That's what the manger is. And parents, we need to help our children get a bigger view of baby Jesus. Because there was a baby Jesus. And it was all of the second person of the Trinity wrapped up in that. Why would he do that? I am telling you, because that is a loving, awesome God of grace. That's my Savior. That's my Savior. Let's unbaby Jesus. And let's make him much, much, much more. More Jesus this Christmas. More Jesus. Lord, you are kind, you are good, you are awesome, you are holy, you are sovereign, you are righteous, you are perfect, you are without sin, you are without question. You are beyond us, above us. And I say all that with the reality of knowing I so struggle to understand what I just said. And yet the wonderful thing is you know that. God, this whole thing is not about us being able to see more of you so that you can do more for us. Oh God, may we not turn it that way. May we not be thinking bigger you so that I can benefit alone. Oh God, the reality is, oh, more of you, less of me. You have not called people to give up themselves and to take up the hard walk 
of following after you. You have not just said that without any valid reality behind that. But we have the written account of watching you. And coming to the place of understanding and being convinced that what you say comes from who you are. And, and on top of that, here and then this moment, not only is it about watching you and hearing you, but then you all of a sudden, just in your grace and your kindness, you've allowed us this insight into who you are by allowing us to see you. You are unlike anything, anyone. You are the Christ. And therefore, Lord, that changes how we do marriage. That changes how we do friendship. That changes how we work. That changes how we think. That changes the goal of our life. That changes everything. Father, I just pray if there's anyone in this room who does not know you as their Savior, that today would be just a day that you and your grace would show yourself more. You are that one. Lord, for those who are children of you, who have received you as their Savior and are following after you in that radical relationship with gradual growth, Oh God, I pray we would see you more. See more holiness than you. More awesomeness. Just more. God, open up the heavens. Show us who you are. Less of me, more of you, and to the cross you go. In the name of Jesus we pray.